G'day, welcome to Lunch Money, uh, where workouts and special situations experts uh, give us their uh, their views on the news of the week. Um, my name's Nick Samias, I'm the director of Hermes Capital, uh, and I'm your host, so uh, once again, welcome. Uh, every week we have panellists uh, from the corporate restructuring sector. Uh, we like to mix things up a little bit by bringing in industry specialists and sometimes professionals from, um, from uh, parallel uh, professions. Uh, to, to make things a little bit more interesting. Um, so today uh, we're hoping to get hold of Mark Jason, who is from Link Business, uh, to give us a bit of a perspective on buying and selling businesses. You can imagine that his world's been tipped upside down lately. Uh, we just might drop back to, to Arnie, our other guest from Adelaide, Arnie Narayan. So Arnie, you're from uh, Travancore Legal, and obviously uh, you're in Adelaide there. You're, you're doing a lot in the, in the restructuring space. What's been keeping you busy? Uh, thanks very much for the invite, uh, Nick. Uh, a dairy farm in uh, uh, near Warrnambool in uh, Victoria, right? And a question about uh, 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 the rights of uh, insolvency practitioners and and uh, valuers and those advising them on um, their right of movement between the states and whether they fit within the definition of of an essential traveller. So the farms in in Victoria, Warrnambool, Victoria, isn't it? Is that, is that right? Uh, uh, crossing between, uh, in this case, the South Australian border and the uh, Victorian border, right. uh, our rules here require that that uh, that if you come into South Australia from interstate, unless you've got an exemption, uh, you're required to uh, self-isolate for 14 days. But there's right. an exception to that, and that exception is 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 if you are classified as a essential traveller. Um, so, for example, uh, fly-in, fly-out fly uh, people in the mining sector have yeah. got a broad-based exemption from that uh, requirement to quarantine, uh, right. and plus okay. also uh, nurses, doctors, uh, you know, the, 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 more, the more usual type of people that we would think, think to be essential workers. Uh, the right. question really is um, to, to what extent... Uh, uh, IPs and their advisors might fit into that, and and there is a there is a little category uh, uh, in terms of uh, people involved in business restructuring or business uh, thing. And so it, the the question becomes, you know, uh, how malleable a concept is it to, to try and get a say a, a valuer or a insolvency practitioner within that definition? You either quarantine or you don't, depending on uh, the assessment you make. Well, what what other sort of challenges you've been facing? Um you know, sort of uh, specific to, to the restructuring space. Like what, what, what? When your phone rings, what's the? What are the common questions in the last couple of weeks? One, one thing that uh, um, has been top of mind for lots of people, and and I've had cause to look at it specifically this week, is the uh, um, impact of the COVID nineteen regulations for commercial tenancies. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you, you might remember that. Uh, uh, Way back on the seventh of April, the uh, uh, federal government passed a thing called the National Cabinet Mandatory Code of Conduct for Small Medium Enterprises Commercial right. Leasing Principles. Right. Um, okay. And uh, rolls off the tongue. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, for, for a long time, it wasn't entirely clear whether the code was actually either mandatory or, in fact, um, you know, the law and you know, right. a code. Because uh, the the application of it was uh, left to each state. Um, commercial leasing generally being considered a matter for state by state regulation. Right. So certainly in South Australia, we had a bit of a false start 
with the uh, legislation. Uh, a, a legislation came in. A set of regulations were passed under that uh, uh, under that uh, legislation called the Commercial Leases Number One regulations. Right. Uh, they were they were then uh, 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 repealed, and the commercial leases number two regulations are in force and have been there since about the fifteenth of May. The, the, the framework is uh, better in place now, and and largely attempts to reflect the uh, the intentions behind the uh, uh, mandatory code. Okay, well we might come back to some of that stuff now. Thanks, Arnie. Just we're going to put you on hold, and we're going to introduce Mark Jason. G'day, Mark. How are you going? Yeah, really well, mate. Sorry, I was a little bit late there. No, that's okay. You, you, you're just perfectly on time. That, that, that was really well done. So uh, you, you missed uh, you missed where I introduced you uh, earlier on, and I said that uh, you're obviously in the business of bringing uh, buyers and sellers of businesses together. You're the managing director of Linko uh, uh, for Australia, and uh, I know that when when all this started happening, we, we caught up for a cup of coffee, and your world was pretty much turned upside down. So what's been keeping you busy the last couple of weeks? Well, we lost, uh, we lost, I think it was somewhere close to $100 million worth of deals uh, at the wow. time. Um, I think we had one uh, hospitality uh, group that was predominantly leasehold, uh, 35, $35 million transaction on the table, which completely disappeared. And $35 million? Knocked, yeah, they've knocked uh, 450 staff on the head. Um, but what's been interesting, uh, and I was listening to your previous uh, uh, commentator on the uh, retail leases, is uh, a lot of the shopping centres have been fantastic with um, with their tenants on, on that, and I've heard some pretty good feedback both from uh, franchisees, tenants, and also um, uh, leasing agents on what, what they've been giving. So I've got a, a good inside run on, on what's been happening there. But our website has actually broken records the last three weeks as unemployment's gone up. Wow. We've had more traffic and more inquiries last week than we ever had uh, in the history, in the 21-year history of Link. All right. Um, and just briefly, what, what do you attribute that to? Uh, unemployment. The right. people, so people buying jobs. jobs. Yeah. yeah, 100%. And and what and so people are people are, are in funds to be able to buy a business, or they're just trying to suss it out for the first time. Do you think? What's the? I, I think there's going to be a lot of education out there, and certainly they're they're sussing it out for the first time. Yeah. Um, you know, banks are still tight after the uh, Royal Commission, and yeah. uh, we're having a look at second tier lenders. Yeah. Where we're still looking at um, asset backed um, finance, whether it's um, uh, equipment or whether it's um, uh, the the, the your property, your, your home, sure. yeah. um, and then there's a few other options out there. So finance will still be hard, but, you know, I've been at this game now for, for 16 years and my family's been at it for 30. We've seen quite a few um, downturns and yeah. whenever unemployment goes up, um, inquiries go up and sales wow. go up. Fantastic. All right. Okay, Mark and, um, Mark and Arnie, we've got here... Um, these headlines, we've pulled three headlines together here. Carnage when money go round stops. Uh, WA warns against a hard, hard ending to the JobKeeper and uh, a longer JobKeeper will keep people in fake jobs. Now, um, I guess the gist of this is, you know, we're all wondering when, 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 when JobKeeper is going to come to an end and when it comes to an end, uh, you know, are people going to just come bouncing back? Are they going to come back and shut their businesses? Or are they going to maybe look at restructuring? What, what are your thoughts, Arnie? I think uh, uh, 
one needs to be careful um, in 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 uh, you know ma making too many hard and fast comments about JobKeeper. Um, clearly, it's clearly um, served the role that it was intended to do, which was to to get to, to get a whole flow of money out into the marketplace. Um, and so to the extent that that was the policy objective, I think it's been successful. Um, where it becomes difficult is, is the, the, the phase that we're in at the moment, which is about a month into it, and what's going to happen in the next five months that the life of a JobKeeper will go for. And, and of course, you've got, you've got issues of moral hazard and, and, and other things that, that come up with it because, um, uh, you know, there the, the, the could be businesses which um, have been given an artificial lifeline uh, and perhaps um, um, really uh, sh should have faced the, the, the consequence of, of their performance earlier in the piece, but, but that's been taken down the track. Against that, we've got um, obviously the requirement to do the right thing by as many Australians, uh, particularly those who are in the more exposed uh, sectors such as uh, retail, hospitality and travel. Um, yeah. So it, it's, a, it's a very difficult one. Um, and I think I think we're just just seeing it sort of un, unroll at the moment, and uh, and where it will all wash out, I think we'll know in the next uh, next month or so. Okay, and Mark, um, in your world, is uh, is JobKeeper itself? You know, people waiting for that to finish before they transact on business sales, or how's it how's it affecting um, the way people are approaching the buying and selling of their businesses? Yeah, well, great question. I think there's certainly going to be a number of people that are just sitting on their hands at the moment with JobKeeper and, and the like. Um, you know, there was a lot of retailers that people deemed lazy retailers that had gone bust in January and in the year before that. Um, and I think that with the increased unemployment, there will be less discretionary spending. Um, and those who still do have a job will be more cautious about where they spend their money. And there's going to need to be a very sharp offering from people, from retailers, if people are going to choose to spend their money with those retailers, whether it's food or, or otherwise. And right. so I think at, at the end of JobKeeper, there will be quite a number of businesses that just are not viable anymore, whether it's due to the social distancing regulations within their establishments or whether it's due to the reduced um, discretionary spending in the marketplace as a whole. Right. Uh, let's let's go to the next one. Okay, so now this is an interesting one. We've got um, uh, we've got two headlines that I put together here. One is um, that the the value of loan deferrals supposedly has hit uh, two hundred and fifty billion dollars. Obviously, JobKeeper is one thing. Um, people, you know, businesses are getting cash. Uh, they're well, they're getting cash coming into the business uh, courtesy of JobKeeper. But they're keeping cash inside the business um, by with these loan deferrals, and they've hit two hundred and fifty billion dollars apparently. Um, but another interesting uh, thing reported in the paper here is that the the government's loan scheme, where they'd set aside forty billion dollars, uh, only one point four billion has been uh, has been accessed on this. Um, what, what what are your thoughts there, Mark? You're, you're shaking your head. Yeah, I was amazed to see that, and I haven't read that uh, headline. I'm, I'm busy working on some of my own stuff and my pivoting uh, in my own business. 
But that's um, that's very interesting. There's only 1.4 billion um, uh, taken up. You know, there's at the end of the day, there I would suspect that a lot of people are realising that they're still going to be on the hook for half of that uh, loan, and and that probably shows some real concern by the um, SME uh, business owner that whether or not um, there's going to be a lasting effect to Corona because otherwise they would back themselves out of this issue. Yeah, well, that's, that's yeah, I guess, well, there's a, a couple of things. Firstly, the, 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 the borrower is on the hook for it 100%. The bank is only on the hook for it 50%. Um, but I do understand that part of the issue has been that, um, you know, it's, it's, there's been some delays uh, with, with banks uh, processing these things, you can imagine they've had to, to uh, instigate new processes to manage this sort of thing. Um, the other thing is that when it first was announced, people thought that it was just free money. Uh, and when they found out that they had to pay it back again, uh, they, they lost a little bit of enthusiasm. Um, what, 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 are your, what are your thoughts, Arnie, on this? I mean, firstly, on the fact that on, well, let, let's, let's break it into two parts. Firstly, there are uh, $250 billion worth of loan deferrals. Uh, that comes off, I guess, in around September. Um, what, what are people saying in your circles about this? Well, uh, what's interesting for me uh, is is the differential treatment between um, loan deferrals and uh, rent rental treatment in in terms of um, uh, commercial property. Um, in, in in the in the space of money, uh, we're talking about deferrals. In other words, it's it's. Um, Putting off the evil day when the when the loan has to be paid back, whereas um, certainly uh, the way the regulations came here uh, in in terms of commercial leases, uh, we're talking about both uh, rent deferral and rent waiver, um, which is which is a you know a, a, a markedly markedly different thing, and and one of the worrying aspects certainly of the regulations as they've been passed in South Australia is that if the threshold is met by an uh, a tenant uh, to, to qualify them for uh, relief under the uh, regulations, then the court, in, in looking at it, has to has to uh, waive at least fifty percent of the of the rental payable. Wow. So not, not not defer it. It's got to waive it, and it's got to waive at least fifty percent. I'm not sure if that that uh, uh, that that formula formulation of words has been picked up in other states and territories, but I mean that's that's quite a chilling uh, uh, position, certainly as far as the commercial landlords that I've been advising, right. and 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 you can you can be sure that uh, that, that we're mindful of getting them getting tenants stitched up in terms of waivers as opposed to deferrals pretty quickly. So wow. that, that, to me, it's interesting that that, that that difference in approach has been taken. I think there's a fundamental difference between a, um, a, a mortgage holiday and, and a rent because if you've got a, a site that's um, producing a, a smaller revenue, um, you, you've still got your overheads to pay, whereas if you've got a deferral on your loan, there's no ongoing running costs of that of that mortgage as such, other than the the interest. And what I'm seeing is that uh, a lot of um, some good landlords are deferring that loan until such a time as the tenant's revenue reaches 105% of its previous to previous totals. And so they're actually helping um, out substantially where there may never be a, a payback 
or it may be very long way down the track. And I'm seeing other landlords that are, are abating more than the minimum of 50%. However, there is a stock standard response of it's going to be 50%. So that, that's on the, on the one hand, obviously, loan deferrals and rent deferral and that sort of thing. Turning to the other side of the equation there, on the, the loan scheme only being adopted to, to $1.4 billion versus $40 billion that's been uh, set aside. Uh, I'm certainly, what I, certainly what I'm hearing is that you know, you've, you've got to qualify for these things. The banks are still applying their regular standards, um, so they're, they're, not, they're not just giving it away. Um, and they're not giving it to new customers either. You've got to be a standing customer with a with a line of credit of some sort. From my understanding. That's right. Yeah. Look, I think you're right. I think you're right, though, Mark. The other thing is that debt's debt, and people uh, that it does reflect to some extent the uh, uncertainty of what's uh, what's uh, what's on the other side of this. All right, we'll have a look at the the next one. Well, can I just uh, chime in with one thing on that? Yeah, uh, sure, sure. Uh, Mark, uh, sorry, um, uh, Nick. Um, it's just that. Um, that that uh, uh, that headline seems to to be indicative of of um, uh, perhaps a bit of overestimation um, at a, at a policy level. Now we we saw that obviously with this um, the, the so called sixty billion dollar error, which you know I, I actually don't see that as much of an error to be honest. But uh, that's supposed sixty billion error, but but it's it's reflective of um, uh, uh, the overestimation that was taken in by Treasury. And I think uh, this uh, this this uh, undersubscription on the uh, loan deferrals might be a, a similar factor. Well, look, I, th I think you could be right. I mean, of course, when yeah, I mean, when when this uh, when this coronavirus hit, uh, you know, w w we all thought that uh, you know it was going to be like an apocalyptic, uh, you know, we we're going to suddenly end up in a zombie movie. Um, you know, and, and I think that, you know, obviously we've responded to very well and who knows why exactly, you know, I think we've got good climate and a bunch, whole bunch of stuff uh, in Australia as to why we weren't hit as badly as other people. But, yeah, they did overestimate. And uh, and that does, um, to some extent, segue into this, uh, this piece that we have here. Um, this is the Reserve Bank's uh, governor. Um, the headline here is that he fears red tape will smother recovery. Uh, but there are some other interesting points um, that, that he makes. Firstly, that we are doing much better than expected. Um, he refers in this article, or I'm not sure if this is a speech he gave or something, but this article certainly refers to, uh, he also had said that, uh, you know, the $60 billion, we should keep that up our sleeve as, uh, as dry powder for maybe some other bits and pieces. Calls on the need for a bit of IR reform. Um, but I guess, uh, Mark, if, uh, I mean, let's just stick with the headline. Uh, what you know in your world? What 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 regulations? If you had a magic wand, what regulations would you like to see waived to make um, business transactions a bit easier? <laughs> business transactions easier. Look, it, it's. I think the the biggest hurdle that we've had over the last couple of years has been the availability of finance. Um, the the banks are very much set on a. Um, on an asset-backed finance lending um, model. Um, when APRA hit um, investor loans um, about two years ago, um, it had a massive impact on the business sales um, environment because uh, most of the business sales loans, or at least a portion of them, were, were backed by assets. And so it, it, it crushed a lot of the, um, the business loans at the time. And um, when when the current government got in, they talked a lot about freeing up um, 
finance for, for businesses and for SME um, loans, but we really haven't seen anything come through there. Um, it's not like a lot of other countries where they do have some quality cash flow financing available. There is this responsible lending uh, legislation that, that, that came in, in the last financial crisis. And, uh, you know, if you've got someone who's just buying a business for the first time, you know, they're, they're willing to put up their house and risk their personal assets. And if you ask me, that's, uh, that's their call as, as adults if they feel like doing that. But, of course, the banks, uh, under that legislation, the banks are expected to, uh, to, to nursemaid them and hold their hands. Well, what do you think, Arnie? What, what sort of regulations do you think would get in the way? Or what would you like to see out of the way to help a speedier recovery? Oh, I, I'd, I'd echo the, the sort of things that both uh, you and Mark have been talking about uh, in, in just in terms of um, uh, making uh, capital more readily available um, and and just 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 uh, not, not putting so many impediments between the, the the deal and the execution of the deal. I think that I think I, I fully support the observations you've made. Can I just have a look at this headline, maybe from a slightly different? Perspective that that of a commercial lawyer and, and, and insolvency lawyer, and and you know one of the things that uh, uh, might be described as consistent with uh, uh, getting rid of red tape uh, and, and and making business transactions easier in the current environment was those changes that uh, the government brought in in terms of um, uh, the moratorium, as it were, on on uh, insolvent trading by directors, and also the extension of the uh, a statutory period for winding up applications and bankruptcy notices from 21 days to six months. Now, you, you see that that on, on one view of it, you might say, well, that that's a, that's a good step in in terms of lowering red tape and 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 ma and making it uh, easier for people to stay in business. But against that, on the other side of it, it is it's arguable again going back to this con concept of moral hazard is is a step that's intended to make uh, business survival. Uh, better, ultimately going to result in bad outcomes. You know, after September, when when these moratoriums are are uh, uh, come off. So, it's 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 a, like all these things. It's it's a balancing act uh, between finding ways to smooth transactions and and also making sure that that, that the certain uh, fundamentals are, are maintained. I, I don't think that there's any easy answer, and I certainly certainly not volunteering to be a policy writer on any of this, but. Uh, they're the two sides of the coin. Um, you touched on industrial relations and mm -hmm. um, there's been a lot of brand bashing over the last couple of years in relation to fair, um, paying fair wages. And, you know, whether it's George Columbaris going out of business or whether it's been Domino's or, or, or Coles or Woolworths, um, literally every brand out there has been hit with a headline um, in the papers about underpayment of wages. And I think what we're finding is all, most of them um, relate to overtime and weekend loading. And uh, I think there needs to be some reform in there if, if these businesses are going to be sustainable and recover. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's uh, that's an interesting point and a, and a, and a good point. I, I wonder... Um, uh, just, just, just winding back a little bit to something Arnie just said. You know, so when when you sort of mount it up, you've got uh, you've got the moratoriums coming off in terms of the statutory demands and what what have you. You've got the holiday period or whatever you want to call it, the the the, um, the debt moratoriums coming off. You've got JobKeeper coming off. I mean, 
it does. I, I was talking to someone um, in one of the large banks yesterday, and, and they are uh, they are expecting uh, strong headwinds in around September. You know, I've spoken to other people that are calling, saying that the strong headwinds won't hit us until uh, next year. What, what what do you reckon, Arnie? I mean, are you are you sort of uh, tooling up for a for a big September, or do you think it'll be later on, or are you a bit like me and giving up giving up trying to predict? Oh, there's a there's a wise proverb about uh, uh, those who predict uh, you know don't know. I won't try and quote it, but it, it's 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 about the dangers of predicting. Um, so uh, I'll avoid that. I, I think realistically, though, that that uh, there is going to be uh, a substantial pickup in restructuring work um, from September. Uh, I don't think I don't think we'll have to wait till next year. There's been a, a long large deferment of, of the problem. I think that that, that uh, both Austin and I were looking at, and I think you were as well, Nick, at, 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 at lens and at, at positions uh, yeah. uh, pre-COVID-19 yeah. where we thought some form of intervention was required. Now, yeah. having gone back to those referrers uh, or, or those uh, mandates, um, the, 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 the feedback we're getting is, oh, no, it's okay now. Which yeah. which is surprising, given that everyone says trading conditions are worse under COVID nineteen than they were before. So yeah. so you've got to ask that, that there's a degree of artificiality by, created by the moratoria, etc. Yeah. And I think when it does come off, that there's going to be there's going to be a bit of a, a bit of a, a a flood, if not a if not a tsunami, at least it's going to be a flood. I think what you're saying here kind of ties in. I've I've put a, a bit of a mishmash of headlines together here. How Target got stuck in the in the middle as a retailer, so it was stuck in the middle uh, strategy. There, uh, we've also got um, some headlines about Hertz. One of the headlines there says that Hertz was uh, was in a bad way before Corona hit, uh, and there's another one there talking about Hertz's fleet. And you can see all of those cars piled up there, are eating their heads off in terms of cost. And I just want—I just wonder when you when you think about um, what, as I said, Arnie, you were saying that there's a lot of sick businesses before Corona hit, and uh, I guess maybe they got the sugar rush of some of these moratoriums and uh, and uh, job keepers and what have you. But but I'm, I'm actually wondering about Virgin. They're, they're saying that one of the one of the front runners uh, on the bid for Virgin is talking about a, a, a taking a, a middle of the road strategy between full service and budget. Uh, now this here talks about superannuation uh, coming coming up with negative returns. Now, I know that lately the stock market's been, been going great guns, but when, when the GFC came, a lot of people that had were retiring all of a sudden had to go back to work. And, and Mark, I'm thinking about in your sector, a lot of your uh, business sale transactions would be uh, people who are looking to retire and succession planning and all that sort of stuff. Um, I mean, there's, there's, do you think that a lot of people are going to be working until they're a lot older because of this? Well, I mean, the, the first comment I make is that a lot of these super funds um, haven't been outperforming the, the benchmark of the market um, and they've been charging good fees um, to, to, to do a mediocre result. Um, we certainly saw during the GFC a lot of baby boomers holding on to businesses because they'd lost money, whether it was in their super uh, or, or, or whatnot through trading. Um, hold on to their businesses. We have for the last couple of years starting to see some of those businesses hit the market. And now, you know, I do wonder whether they're going to hold on uh, longer, but it's a supply and demand situation in any marketplace. And the longer they hold on, the more they're going to be faced with the flood of supply um, further down the track. 
So um, I, I anticipate um, that, that those baby boomers that were thinking about it 10 years ago and haven't done it since um, need to be moving at a, at, at a point sooner rather than later um, mm. and accepting market value, not to try to um, hit for the breaches because a lot of them, <laughs> a lot of them, um, they, they don't get to enjoy the, the fruits of their labour once they do sell if they're, um, if they're, if they're too old, really. I know that I've, I've had friends that have uh, potentially been selling their business in the last few years, and because I saw what happened in the GFC and before that, I said, just just take the offers. You know, don't don't hang in there for the for the for the ultimate offer because there will be an event, and then all of a sudden you'll be five or ten years behind schedule, and that's what we've seen. Arnie, um, I'll, we've only got a couple of minutes left. I'll, I'll just give the last word to you on on that subject. Do you get involved much in? in just regular everyday buying and selling of businesses? And do you think a lot of people will be putting off their retirements? I, I don't feel entirely qualified to, to uh, uh, make a prediction about that issue. But my my uh, tracking of uh, where markets are and where uh, funds uh, return and, and, and uh, outperform benchmarks, all that is, is confined to uh, my role as, as, as a director of companies uh, uh, which, which have investments in the marketplace. Uh, in, in my working life, um, uh, the, the, the two big events that come to mind are 9-11 and, of course, the GFC. And, uh, you know, uh, the market has followed a reasonably predictable uh, recovery after both those events. Uh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, there'll, there'll be, there'll be uh, plus and minuses going forward. Certainly the, the events that you mentioned, 9-11, uh, and then the GFC, um, all of a sudden, uh, insolvency practitioners that you thought had retired five years ago were suddenly uh, uh, putting on the boots again and, uh, and and running out. So we'll see if any of that happens. All right. Well, look, uh, we we are timing out. So um, what I'll do is I'll, I'll thank our guest today, uh, Arnie Narayan uh, from, from Adelaide. It's been good. To, at least electronically, we can cross the borders while you're sorting out those uh, special uh, special conditions and essential workers and all that sort of stuff. And, Mark, um, thank you very much for joining <laughs> us. It's been very good. It's great to have your insights as well. So uh, I'll just say thank thank. And what I will finish up on is saying is thank you to uh, thank you to our viewers and our, and our listeners. Uh, we are a podcast, so... Um, uh, you, you can catch us on uh, on on Apple and Google and uh, Spotify and all of that sort of stuff. So thank you very much, uh, uh, Arnie and Mark, and thank you to everybody at home for watching. Cheers.